Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from June 2nd, 2019 called, Now We're All Looking Up, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts chapter 1 verses 8 and 9. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Those of you um, that have been following along, we've been using it here in church and then also at school. The theme uh, for the year, for the school year, has been from Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the mountains, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And so we've used that theme and we've abbreviated it by simply calling it, look up. We want, just look up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God. And it would be interesting because if I said, this is really the last, uh, this is the ending point of that theme. Our school year is completed. We're towards the end of this, uh, of this season. Jesus is ascending into heaven. This seems to be the moment, the pinnacle moment, to be able to say, literally, we are looking up as Jesus is ascending, returning to glory, Jesus' rightful position in the heavens and on earth and all of creation. Jesus humbled himself to come and be our Savior, but now reigns completely victorious and triumphant in heaven. So how appropriate that we finish by looking up and, you know, you can use catchphrases like, things are really looking up. But it's interesting because if you're paying attention to the news, the state of the church in North America or in America, you can come up with some fairly depressing statistics. I mean, you've heard me talk about we closed the door of a Lutheran church in Gooding just a month ago or so. Um, there are other Lutheran churches in Wendell and in Soda Springs and in other places, small churches that in their history have been vibrant, growing places and are barely hanging on by their fingernails um, in the communities that they serve. The Roman Catholic Church, while it holds steady overall in North America in its uh, population, is only doing so in America because of immigration. And so in those counties and dioceses in, the, in America where there's not much Hispanic or Latino uh, immigration, they're actually in severe decline. They've closed as many as half of their churches in dioceses in Connecticut and Vermont and Maine, in places in the Midwest or in the, in the central uh, eastern uh, area of Pennsylvania and Ohio where there's not much immigration. They're down as much as 69%. In our own denomination, we have 800 congregations that do not have a pastor. And this year we produced 80 pastors out of 800. So... Um, when we talk to millennials, uh, millennials are the first generation in which significantly less than half of them believe that religion has any importance in their life. The statistics on the next generation, however you title it, Gen Z we often call it, is even lower. It does not mean that they don't have interest, but they do not consider it as important as things like Instagram. And so it's a different world that we're talking to. Um, when we look at giving in the church for charitable giving, did you realize that the giving in the Great Depression was higher than it is today? Among the most affluent times in all of American history, giving by churchgoers is only 2.5% of their income. 
in the Great Depression, in the Great Depression, people gave 3.3% of their income. And so you can find, are you depressed yet? Have I depressed? 65% of churches in America are declining. Things are, things are really looking up, ain't they? And I want to tell you that they are. If you think this is a time in which the statistics look a little bit daunting, think of the moment of the, of the scriptures which we just read. For all intents and purposes, the followers of the Messiah, of the true Christ, what we would call the church, was in reality down to one individual, and that individual was hanging suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. All those who had said they placed their trust in him had deserted him, denied him, or betrayed him. The entire church, the believers in the true Christ, the true Messiah, was down to one, and Satan believed that he had won. And from those ashes and from that look of desperation, from that moment of desperation on a cross, on Easter Sunday the women came to the tomb and became the first evangelists. And the disciples followed, why ones and twos, and it says, and they believed, even if they didn't quite understand. They were still fearful and doubtful. They were still hiding in a corner, and yet Jesus appeared to them, and they touched his hands and his side. Even Thomas believed. And so from that one hung on a cross came twos and threes and twelve, and then the scriptures record for us thirty and seventy-two and five hundred eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And finally the apostle Paul himself even comes to faith and the explosion begins. Prior to that on Pentecost Sunday, three thousand come to faith and the world has changed forever to where today on our planet one in three human beings today on the planet confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And so what I tell you is, I can give you all kinds of statistics that make, you, make, make it sound depressing, but I can give you one statistic that tells you that Christ reigns and is victorious, and that's why we're looking up. And so on this day that we observe the victorious reign of Christ, we also, also observe that the faith is successfully passed on to future generations. There are times where we have had more young people confirmed in a single class. This is the smallest class we've had. But when you count the amount of family and friends that are here today, it is more than sometimes when we've had classes of 15 or, or more. And so the legacy is not always simply in those who are standing up, but for those who are standing with them. And so today we stand with those who confess Christ as Lord. And so things are looking up. Let me tell you why they're looking up and how we can look up. Because in this moment, the disciples have more reason to be depressed and down in the mouth than any of us. Because in this moment, Christ is leaving and they don't understand it. And Christ continues to try to teach them. And I want to give you words of encouragement because things are truly looking up. Because of Christ's victory, because of his reign, Things are looking up. It's time, it's time to get excited about the future. Because the one who holds the future in his hands is excited about that future. The one who holds the future in his hands knows that the world is hearing the name of Christ and that every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. 
And so he who holds the future stands in that future, and he has equipped us for that future. There are five things in this text that I want to share with you quickly because we've got to hear the testimony of these kids. The first thing is this. So this is an old joke, old dub joke. So this couple struggling with memory issues, and uh, the husband and wife. So the husband's really struggling, but she is too, so they go to the doctor. And the doctor says, hey, we'll work on some things, exercise and this and that and diet. But first of all, why don't you just write things down? So great. They go home. That night, the husband gets up and he says, I'm going to go get some ice cream. You want some ice cream? The wife says, yeah, I want some ice, vanilla ice cream with some strawberries on it. So he goes and she says, wait, honey, you ought to write that down. The doctor said you should write that down. He says, ah, woman, I can remember that. I'm just going in the kitchen. So he says, no, the doctor said you should write that down. If you don't write it down, you're going to forget it. Now he's mad. He says, I'm... So he goes, he's mad. Then he walks in there. She yells, you should write it down. He starts banging pots and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, 10 minutes goes by. He comes out, hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. She goes, where's my toast? So here's the first promise of why things are looking up. Thank God for the gospel writers like Luke, who in both the book of Luke and in Acts, it's volumes 1 and 2 of Luke, it could be Luke 1 and Luke 2, writes it down. Long about 30, 40 years after the resurrection, these guys, God had the wisdom to prompt these men to write down what they had seen and heard so that we could remember so that we could remember again and again. Do you know what Scripture is? Scripture is not about proving things in history or science or geology. His, the Scripture is about reminding you that God keeps His promises. That's why Scripture exists. So that Luke can tell you I, that Jesus said, I made a promise to you, I will keep it. God has made a covenant promise to His people, and I will keep it. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, and that is the truth. He said, I have go to prepare a place for you. And it's the truth. I have claimed you as my own and marked you with my cross. I have placed my name on you. You are my children. And that is the truth. It is continually in both Old and New Testaments a simple declaration and narrative again and again and again. I keep my promise. Things are looking up. Second thing. Once again. There's honesty. Isn't this an interesting thing? Why does Jesus ascend 40 days after the resurrection? He appeared to them, Luke writes this, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, if you're a student of the Bible at all, you know that 40 is a significant number. 40, day, 40 days and nights of rain, right? 40 years of wandering wilderness, wandering the wilderness. Jesus is tempted for 40 days by the devil in the wilderness. It is always a time of testing and of trial. It's always a time of that. But far more significantly, God is not about that he put the people of God through a time of trial and heartache. What God is saying is, no, I took that 40 to teach you. To teach you. So what he was doing was teaching. So Jesus, because Jesus could have ascended at any time, couldn't he? Jesus had conquered sin and death glorified body, ready to go. He knows the Holy Spirit's going to come 50 days after the resurrection, right? Pentecost, right? 50 days after the Passover, we get Pentecost, Holy Spirit. Jesus could have ascended any time in there. And he picks the 40th day because he's saying this to them. This will be a time of trial. 
Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't pretend it, but I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you what you need to know. Things are looking up. Third thing that he does. So there's 40 days, quote, days of teachable moments in which he teaches them about his presence and his promise, and he is with them in spite of their fears, in spite of their doubts, never forsakes them, always is with them. You guys, there are going to come times when your faith is very severely tested. That is the truth. You will have people ridicule you because you dare to believe something that seems so crazy in our modern world. I will tell you this, no one will have better answers for the questions of this life and of this world and of these relationships than he who is Jesus Christ. No one will have a better answer than that. And yet you will be ridiculed for it. You'll go through your own 40 days of wilderness times, more than once. And yet God, Jesus, promises just like he does here. He doesn't leave them. For 40 days, through that whole time of testing, he says, I'm with you. And he teaches them and reminds them of his promise. Remember his promise. Third thing, I give you two characters from the NBA. One is LeBron James. And LeBron James, arguably, one of the best, uh, arguably the, the best basketball player of all time. You can make your arguments. We can get a fight over Michael Jordan and him and whatever. But arguably, I'm not saying he is, but people make that argument. And he's been in a whole variety of teams. So he started off in Cleveland. Then he went, look, you guys, you just pay attention now, okay? All right. Um, so he started in Cleveland, right? Then he took his talents to South Beach, right? Then we went from Miami, goes back to Cleveland. Now he's in L.A. He's been hurt much of the year. So we haven't heard too much from him this, right now but a tremendous basketball player. But he switched around from team to team. He's in the news constantly, constantly in the news. Anything LeBron James does, it makes big sports news. Now you have another guy who's now retired. His name was Tim Duncan. And Tim Duncan played for the San Antonio Spurs. And he was a pretty mild, unassuming kind of guy. 19 seasons, played them all in San Antonio, Texas. One of the smallest markets for the NBA. Not the bright lights of Miami, not the bright lights of L.A. But for 19 years, he labored there and had many opportunities to take his talents elsewhere and yet chose to remain because his coach said, hang in there, Tim. Hang in there, we're going to win. And he won five championships in San Antonio, five. LeBron James has won three. And you might think LeBron James had won twice as many championships as Tim Duncan based on the hype and the media. But Tim Duncan's won five. Here's my point. Sometimes God tells us to stay. Sometimes God tells us to wait. That's hard for me. Patience is a, not a virtue for me. Sometimes God says simply stay and wait. That's what he tells them here. Stay in Jerusalem. Because you know what? In the ascension, in the light of the ascension, they have just seen Jesus go to glory. Jesus has just taught them intimately day after day after day about the kingdom of God and his promise. He's been with them, and they might have gotten all fired up. And he, they might have been so fired up, like you guys, you could be so fired up. And they said, I'm going. I'm India. I'm going. Where am I going? I'm going. And Jesus says, stay. So I want to give you guys a gentle word on this too. You've been blessed with families who love you dearly and who honor and respect the word of God in your life. Stay. Because there'll come a time when you should go. And that's going to be a time when you need to go, when you're going to answer the call of God. 
I wish I had learned it sooner. I was constantly running around doing idiotic things. And I needed to stay. And I needed to wait so that I could hear the voice of God and be able to be instructed by Him. This is all according to the timing of God. What's the key? The key to staying is hearing the voice of Christ. Staying allows you to hear the voice of Christ and it makes you ready to go when it's time to go because there'll be that time too. Fourth thing. Some of you know this, some of you don't. I'm a, I uh, actually went through a period of time in my life. I was preparing to go to seminary. I uh, graduated from Concordia, Portland. I was a good student. Nobody knew it. So I'm mostly smoking cigars and drinking beer. But, I, uh, but nobody knew I was a good student. I was going to seminary, and uh, my professors, my seminary, my theology professors knew I was a good student, and they were cheering for me as I went to seminary. And I lasted three months, and I dropped out. Much to their disappointment, my parents' embarrassment and shame, and I dropped out. I was married. My dear wife never once gave me a word of condemnation. And um, we came back to Portland, and I struggled because I wanted to know what happens now. Now that I have failed on this godly quest, the problem was I was a classic narcissist and my ego wouldn't let my head fit through the door and all of that. God needed to really um, um, break me down. And uh, so I went through a time, but it was interesting because this fourth point intrigues me. Because the disciples sit there and before Jesus goes, they say, wait, 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 Jesus, got to ask you one more question. Is it now that we get to rule Israel again? Are we now going to get to be the princes of Israel and kick out the Romans and be in charge? Is it now? And you can almost see Jesus do one of these. <laughs> almost, right? But essentially he's very kind, he's very gentle. And he said, you know what? Now's not the time to know. There was a period of time in my life where I was frantic. I needed to know, what do I do now? I failed, I never failed in anything in my life. What do I do? Where do I go now? What now? And this is what I needed to hear from God. I need you to let my promise be enough. I need my promise to be enough because too often in the light of not knowing what to do, I come up with a million of my own plans. And sometimes I need God's promise to be enough. And that promise is this. I will never leave you or forsake you. My grace will be sufficient for you. And that needs to be enough. There are times in my life where that has to be enough. And there is always a time where that has to be enough. To not complicate the matters, but to allow God's Spirit to do His work and God's promise to be enough. And then the last thing. You're going to bear witness today to your faith. And every time we gather in public worship, when we say our creed, we bear witness to our faith. We stand up again and are counted. Lord, this I believe. And I say it publicly, not in secret. We don't hide it. We don't pretend. We say it publicly. And in fact, we are in fact fulfilling the promise which Christ has said. And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. Remember this? You will be my witnesses. And then he starts going out and centers and goes out. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. We are testament. We are a testament that those disciples did that thing. By the way, note this. It doesn't say that you'll be good witnesses. Did you note that? You will be my witnesses, good or bad. And there are three kinds of witnesses, aren't there? 
There's the bad witness. And I've been in that camp where my language and my actions, my behavior and character bore a very poor witness. My roommates in college confronted me on it. And then I claimed the name of Christ and I was an embarrassment to the name of Christ. They called me on it. And then there are the witnesses which are the apathetic witnesses, which are you may live your whole life and absolutely no one knows that you say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And you are bearing witness to nothing. And then there are the witnesses that say, yes, Lord, I'm broken, but I have a Savior who loved me and who's forgiven me. And that's the witness that Christ is calling for. And that's the challenge for us. If this was the last word you hear, if the last word we heard today was, you guys, you're going to stand up and bear witness, you should go out and now we're going to bear witness to Christ. We're going to be as the best witnesses ever. And then people of God, be resolved. Turn over a new leaf and be resolved that today as you walk out, you will be the best witnesses for Christ. And those aren't bad words. Those are good words. But they're not gracious words. And those are words that could put you under a burden. Let me give you the good news. Because we do want to bear witness to Christ. And we want to do it well. But it only happens because he first bore witness for you. That before the throne room of God, in spite of my history and your history and past, in spite of how we are and how we've been, our hearts longing to follow our Savior, our hearts longing to be his children, Jesus Christ stood up before his Father in heaven and said, that one's mine. And he bore witness for you. And he bore witness when the devil would love to have said everything else. Let me tell you about that person. And Jesus Christ instead said, silence. This is my witness on their behalf. And so while you bear witness today of your faith in Christ, thank God it is because he first bore witness for you and claimed you as his own. To God be the glory, now and always. Amen. Hey everyone, make sure that you are staying plugged into your newsletters and Wednesday announcements and checking out our Grace to Go on Sundays so that you can check out our summer barbecue series, our summer Bible study options, and other fun events.